It's 835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start off today's show like we start off every show, three big things. All right, I, I acknowledge that over, matter of fact, two days ago, I acknowledge I climbed up on my soapbox because there was, this week we have had two stories of people running through red lights, hitting cars, and killing people. In the one case, it was a 29-year-old woman and her um, infant daughter, 11-month-old daughter. There was a teenager in the car that was severely, severely injured as well. That was a car driven, I believe, by a 22-year-old guy, blows through a red light at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and then, of course, the person flees. They catch him in the hospital, but two people are dead because of that. Then you had the story just a couple days ago. The 19-year-old guy blows through the red light hits and kills the 48-year-old woman. And I and I get the, I don't know if she was with her husband. I, I get the impression they were going to work. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. It's on you know, South 76th Street um, and Appleton Avenue, an intersection that a lot of us have driven through you know, quite often. 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, they're going to work, they're going to breakfast, I don't know. But a woman is dead because I think in that case it was a 19-year-old guy, blows through a red light, hits and kills the person, and then he tries to flee. And I think the police have ultimately caught him and and I, I understand in these situations that I was saying this it, it it leads the news because people are dead but my sense and I drive around this area a lot my sense is that just like I try to make this point with guns every time I people look at the homicide rate as a way of trying to judge what crime levels are and that that's an indicator but the point is every time you pull a, the trigger every time you shoot somebody that could turn into a homicide so a lot of times the fact that somebody gets shot and doesn't die is merely it's just it's good luck it's good emergency medical services whatever but homicides aren't necessarily the best indicator of how violent you know a community is a gun the number of shootings i think is similarly just because you have situations where somebody blows through a red light and hits and kills someone. That that doesn't necessarily mean that those are the only times this is happening. And as somebody who regularly drives around this area, I swear it is like the wild, wild west. There is not a day that goes by when I'm out on the roadways that I don't see somebody driving twice the speed limit, driving in the right-hand lane, blowing through red lights, going across three lanes of traffic to make turns. Um, a lot of times, my guess is the cars are stolen, no license plates or, or whatever. But And I admit, I talk about this on the program because it haunts me. It frustrates me that you have a 48-year-old woman who presumably is going to work and she's dead because some creep blows through a red light, you know, at a high rate of speed. But but that's not the only indicator. I know that there's accidents out there. I know that there's people getting injured. And it hits home because it could happen to you. It could happen to me. That could be your wife. That could be your husband. That could be your kid. That could be my wife. That could be my nephew. That, that those That's what's going on out on the roadway. So I, I admit, I get up on my soapbox from time to time about that. So I got an email from somebody um, a day ago who said, I think you're sensationalizing this. I drive around Milwaukee all the time, and, and I don't I don't see this. Oh, occasionally you see somebody that might be speeding a little bit, but in general, I, I think this is overblown. This is a creation of the media, ratings-driven, all that type of stuff. Well, 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Denial is a river in, you know, in Egypt. I, I think... Anybody who drives around here would have to say 
that the way the road the roadways have become significantly less safe and i'm not talking about potholes i'm talking about because of irresponsible drivers and i think there has been i think it has gotten noticeably worse over the last five to ten years not necessarily just something that's happened overnight now i've got a lot of theories as to why this is going on but i i i would like to discuss my basic premise um is it dangerous out on the roadways are there lots of bad irresponsible drivers that are out there or is this only the occasional, the rare situation when the guy blows through the red light and hits and kills the woman? Is that getting too much attention? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's see. Um, just five, here's that's the first text I just got. Just five minutes ago, I was almost rear-ended by a car that was probably doing 60 or more on Atkinson and Capitol Drive. I'm driving to drop off my daughter to school. And for anybody who says that you're overstating the issues, they must live in the suburbs. I see this every day. Cars either speeding, running lights, cutting drivers off, or just making the dumbest decisions while driving. It's just ridiculous out there. That's from Jose on the north side. 414-799-1620. We're back with your calls in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 841. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 844, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Justin Tess. Jess, it really is that dangerous and crazy on the streets in Metro Milwaukee. New stunt I've recently seen involves vehicles approaching stop traffic at a solid red light or a stop sign at a high rate of speed, and then with reckless abandon, using a clear turn only lane to swerve around the other cars and blow through the red light, sometimes turning sharply the complete opposite direction that the lane they're in is designated for. We can... We can turn down the, the music there. Okay, thanks. Um, let's see. Here's another one. Dana, it's absolutely dangerous. We live in a lovely neighborhood on 100th and Capitol. However, Capitol Drive is, as you know, a dangerous place to go. Just yesterday, my husband was taking our oldest daughter to school and witnessed a car swerving around a school bus and then stopping in the middle of the road. The school bus narrowly missed the other car and him. He ended up calling 911. I have to say, though, we have seen several more officers on motorcycles at Capitol in the last few days. Hopefully, that will help. 414-799-1620. Tom in Milwaukee. Tom, good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? So, all right. Well, it's it's definitely bad. I mean, my job takes me all the way from, you know, the very southern borders of the city of Milwaukee all the way out to Menominee Falls. And, you know, uh, I drive in the areas that you talk to, you talk about, and, you know, I see it. Uh, people use the bicycle and parking lane, and they're driving 80 miles an hour down there. Uh I've, I've seen them blow through the red lights. I've seen the accidents happen. Uh, I've seen them sit at the red light and then think, okay, good time to go, and boom, they go. And I, yeah, I, I see I, that too, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I see that. The people get stopped at the red light. If, if they stop, then they look both ways and they decide, what the heck? That pedestrian that's halfway through, I can drive around them, and they just blow through the red lights. It's like you treat it like a stop sign. It's crazy. Well, exactly. There was one lady, uh, I think it was yesterday, she was talking about the three-second rule. I I follow that I follow that I mean there's no way being the first car in the at the light that I'm not gonna you know turn green I'm gonna wait a second because there is gonna be oh, yes. one two three okay. one time I counted six cars went through the red light before we were able to go through our green yeah it, it's you and know? it just and it, this is a daily thing no thanks for the call I mean look I I, I understand that that some people don't like to hear this, but th- this is the truth, and I think it has gotten worse, and I think there's a lot of reasons why it's gotten worse, um, including lots of bad drivers, lots of irresponsible people that are out there, lack of consequences, a feeling that you're going to get, a- get away with it, you know, go on and on, but it- 
but you really do take your life in your hands driving around here. Let's see, I have a text. Every Sunday on my way home from church, I see at least two cars blow through red lights on Capitol Drive. It's really getting out of control, and I do believe it's worse. Um, Kim in Milwaukee says, reckless driving is a huge problem. It's like you have to have a NASCAR license to drive down Sherman Boulevard. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, good morning. Yes, uh, good morning. Uh, I'm just responding to whoever texted you mm-hmm. or emailed you and told you that you were over-exaggerating. Right. It's extremely, extremely wrong driving down Capitol, especially between Green Bay and, let's just say, Appleton. The driving is absolutely ridiculous. Breathing in and out, people... Uh, doing 80 miles an hour, you're actually playing Russian roulette if you travel that street and Sherman Park. And uh, not stereotyping, but being really the truth, it's mostly in the inner city. Well, you know, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I guess I, the, the truth of the matter is, though, Kevin, I, I see, I see this going on all, all over. I mean, I, you, Hampton is bad. Good hope is bad, you know. I mean, it's it's just. I, I mean, I, and I, I know you're saying not to be careful about stereotyping. I I think this is a problem again all over. It's certainly a problem um, for somebody. I mean, I live in the North Shore. You know, if you try to go, you know, west using these major east-west streets, you take your life into your own hands. Absolutely. Yeah. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I guess I don't. I don't. I mean, Capitol Drive is very, very bad. And I think, you know, somebody who's the studios on Capitol Drive, Capitol Drive is bad, but Hampton is bad. Good Hope is bad. North Avenue is bad. Um, you know, but it, it's just, you know, you, you had this, this guy that goes through the red light at 8 o'clock in the morning the other day. That was on 76th and um, that was on 76th on, on the south side there. So, I mean, you, you have this happening, I think, all over. Okay, Eric in Caledonia. Eric, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I'm a real estate appraiser, sir. I, I cover all of Southeast Wisconsin. I travel a lot. Um, and to me, it is kind of a neighborhood-related thing. I don't really notice a lot of problems out in the outlying cities and the suburbs. But uh, in the city, especially on the north side, yeah, it is bad. And my wife works on the north side. She came up with kind of a, a good phrase to borrow a line from the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, movie. Traffic laws are more like guidelines than actual yeah. rules up there. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, you know, you know, not stereotype, but that's where I see it is on the north side in general. Mm-hmm. I don't see it as much on the south side, and like I said, the rest of southeast Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I guess yeah, it, it is a problem in that community. It, it is pretty ridiculous. Well, right, and I guess I mean, uh, I guess we can we can talk about again the, the parameters. Like I say, I I see this all over Milwaukee County. Um, it, it might be worse in certain areas of Milwaukee County. But again, I, I see it all over M- Milwaukee County. I mean, I was telling a story the other day about trying to drive out of going west on Silver Spring um, oh, about 730 on a Saturday night. And you literally, I've got my little dog with me, and you literally, you mean you're taking your life in your own hands. I'm watching people stop at the red lights, look both ways, go through them. I'm watching people drive 70 and 80 miles an hour in the, and essentially in the bicycle lane, again, blowing through red lights. I mean, it's just weaving in and out of traffic. And again, half the times 
if I were king, one of the things I would do is I'd get away. I'd get rid of these tinted cars, the, the windows with the tinted cars, so you can't see them. Third of the time, it doesn't appear that there's a drive, there's a license plate on the car. I mean, I don't know if these vehicles are stolen or whether people are just driving them like they're stolen. But it, it's it's this huge issue, and I admit, I am. I guess I'm just so frustrated by this entire thing. I, you sit here on a daily basis, you do a radio show, and on any given day you're here seeing all these police reports, and it's one story after another. And it's I really do firmly believe it is getting worse. I think media hype stuff. I get it. I understand that. But when it comes to the dangerousness of the roadways and the irresponsible drivers, I don't think this is media hype at all. Emily in Milwaukee. Emily, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, this is Emily. Um, so I'm a nurse at St. Joe's ER, so I work over on 51st and Burleigh. And I just thought it was really interesting because, you know, we see accidents come through our ER all day long. And I just wanted to say that we get a lot of accidents that happen related to patients doing drugs while they're driving. Okay. Um, I don't know if people are aware of that. Like, they like to shoot up and at the lights, they'll stop, they'll do some drugs. And then constant, we see a lot of accidents happen that way, too. Oh, that that's... That's very cheerful. So somebody's injecting heroin while they're behind the wheel of yeah, the car. Uh, I know it sounds very crazy, but actually we see it a lot. And, you know, when I'm driving, I, I only go locust during the day. At night, I have to take 94 just because I can't, like, the, just what you were saying earlier, the red lights, people honk their horn, let them know they're coming through the red light. <laughs> just wait a second. I see that all the time, too. No, it's and again, it, it's just, I mean, it, it's this overall frustration that's out there. And I... I understand, and this isn't, it's, it's really, I don't intend this as an indictment of the police. I understand they are understaffed. Up until recently, it wasn't even, they weren't even allowed to go after these reckless drivers because of the idiotic policy that the police chief had in place with regard to chases. So they just would watch the, the drivers blow through the red lights and hope that they didn't kill somebody down the road. Now that has changed, and maybe it's going to change for the better. But there's, there's, as a matter of fact, later on in the program, we're going to talk about a couple things that might help get a handle on this but i mean part of the problem is there are no consequences for doing this i mean let, let us let us face it in milwaukee county in particular unless you hit and kill somebody and even then there's kind of a question mark but as a general rule unless you hit and kill somebody there's not going to be consequences you can steal 30 cars as a juvenile and you're probably just going to get sent back to your parents there's very little consequences and i think that is emboldened people but at the same time it's just when you are afraid to drive across town because you do not know whether or not you're going to get there safely because there's so many people out there driving in such an irresponsible fashion, whether it's stolen cars or revoked license plates or revoked driver's licenses or no driver's license at all. I mean, at some point in time, when do we come up and say enough is enough? Uh, Zach in Milwaukee sends me a text. I live five blocks from 76th and Appleton. That intersection is easily one of the worst in the city for running red lights and red turning arrows. Of course, yeah, 76th and Appleton, that was the intersection where the guy blew through and the 19-year-old blew through and hit and killed the 48-year-old woman, presumably on her way to work. It's just, I, I, I understand it is frustrating to talk about things without being able to come up with clear solutions. But the bottom line is, if there was ever a time, remember when they used to teach us in driver's ed, drive defensively? If there was ever a time 
where that was good advice. This is that time. You've got to drive defensively. And again, it, it is, it's like the previous caller was talking about. It is that kind of three-second rule. The light is turned green. For goodness sakes, if you're driving around here, this is my advice. Don't just hit the gas and go. You've got to look both ways, wait a couple seconds, because chances are somebody is going to be blowing through that red light because they're in a hurry or they just don't care. It's 855. I'm sorry, jam phone lines on this, but we've got a couple other big things, lots of stuff to cover on today's program. Um, huge controversy now, not involving overall gun control, but involving, I don't know, one of these devices that might have been used in the Las Vegas shooting. Some people are saying, you will pry that bump stock out of my cold, dead hand. Really? Stick around. It's 855. It's 858, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The NBA season is here, and the annual survey of the league's general managers has been released. Where does Giannis rank among the league's rising stars? Greg Matzik has the answer and runs through some of the other results tonight on Sports Central at 625. All right, big story number two. It appears that there is a growing consensus between the president, between Republicans, and between Democrats that maybe in the wake of the Las Vegas shootings, some we can agree on some form of you know additional regulations one of the things that is being targeted is the these bump stocks and i confess before last week i did not know what one of these things is are the way the law works is as a general rule it is illegal for people to own a fully automatic weapon the bump stock is a device that you attach to a semi-automatic rifle that uses the recoil of the rifle to fire um pull the trigger faster than you would normally be able to do it. It has the effect of converting a semi-automatic rifle into a machine gun, which would otherwise be illegal. You can buy these things for 40 or $50. Ever since they started talking about banning them, gun stores are being swamped with requests for people to buy bump stocks. All right. Should we outlaw these? Is it a violation of the Second Amendment? Do people really need these devices, or is this common-sense gun control? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We pick it up right there. This is big story number two right after the news. It's 859. It's 908. This is Jeff Wagner. This is going to be one of these topics, a lot of heavy side. All right. Um, Here's how. Let me start off with a couple texts. Jeff, it is not illegal to own a fully automatic firearm. This is misinformation you continually give out. It is false. It is fake news. All right. Well, here's the way the law works. You cannot purchase a fully automatic firearm without first getting a permit from ATF, paying a fee, and going through a special review that includes having the local sheriff, in many cases, look at that. So it is correct that you can own a machine gun, but only under certain circumstances and only after jumping through certain hoops. The average citizen, you can't go into a Walmart and buy a machine gun. There is this special permitting process. So, yes, it is technically correct that you can own a fully automatic firearm, but only, only, only if you go through these various procedures, which very few people do. All right, so that's our starting point for the conversation. Yes, I understand that people can own machine guns, but again, you, you, you have to go through this special process. All right, Josh in Milwaukee says, these bump stocks are mainly for disabled people or people who have a hard time handling weapons. They are not just for rifles. No, they should not just be outlawed because a wacko went crazy. All right. Then we have another email here. Um, let's see. Um, I, I want to get I want to get the language. 
I want to get the language straight here. Um, bump stocks are taking away bump stocks is simply an effort to try to take away our guns. I thought you were a true conservative. All right. Okay, so that, that's the background to this. Bump stocks, of course, and I, candidly, I didn't even know these sort of things existed until after the, the Las Vegas shooting. It is without a permit and special approval, it is illegal to own an automatic weapon. Bump stocks and things of the like are things that for $100, you essentially can take a semi-automatic rifle and make it fire as if it were an automatic weapon. So for $100, no permit, you can convert a legal gun into a gun that operates in a fashion that would be illegal unless you have the, the permit. The way it works, and again, it's the, the bump stocks replicate the speed of a fully automatic rifle because you, you put on the stock, you put it up to your shoulder, I guess, and it just, the, the recoil allow just bounces the gun back and forth against your finger so you don't have to pull and it simulates the, the firing of an automatic weapon they cost again about a hundred dollars um there's not too many legitimate purposes for these because the, the gun is moving so fast um you you're just from a shooting perspective it's almost impossible to maintain any sort of degree of accuracy with these sort of things um lots of people who are sportsmen say, you know, why Why would I want to own something like this? And other than, I don't know, I had a caller the other day and said, well, I have one of these and it's just fun. I, I like to go out to the range and I like to simulate like I have a machine gun. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess, see, I don't see this as a Second Amendment issue. I, I just don't. And I understand you're free to agree with me and if you think this doesn't make me a true conservative, fine. I, I can live with that. The, the, there are there are, there are just like there are limits on the First Amendment right to free speech. There are restrictions that we put on the Second Amendment. Again, you can't just walk into a store and buy a machine gun. You need a special permitting process for that. Felons can't own firearms. We have these different restrictions that are there. And I think, candidly, a, a lot of hardcore gun advocates. I think do themselves a disservice if you try to draw a line in the sand and say, well, everything's a slippery slope. If you take away this $100 device, which allows my gun to fire essentially in a fashion like it would be an automatic weapon, if you take that away, that means you're going to take my guns away. No, it it doesn't. It doesn't. And I guess I don't see this as the slippery slope. I don't see this as a Second Amendment concern. I see this as a as a very real thing where most people look at this and say, why does somebody need to have something like this? And if the best argument you can come up with is, well, it, it's my right to do it. Well, that's like, to me, the people who decide they want to walk into the farmer's market in Appleton, you know, with carrying their, their long rifles or their AR-15s because they have a right to do it, quote unquote. And just because it disrupts everything else, it's still their right. That's not a great argument. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Noah in West Bend. Noah, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I am an avid gun owner and user. I've actually bought three firearms just this year. And I am fine with the idea of bump stocks going away. 
I agree. There's no real use for them, certainly not in hunting. Um, yeah, right, because there's no accuracy, the right? I mean, you're you're not right. going to go hunting yeah, with no. one of those things because the gun bounces no, all over, right? Same yeah. thing is true with a fully automatic weapon of any kind. The, the accuracy is gone. You, you got the first shot is accurate. From there, you're just bouncing around. Right. Um, and there's really no need for them in the private sector. Now, I I think we do. I think two things. We get a little cringy and freak out a little when the left starts talking about outlawing all semi-automatic weapons. Yes, I agree. Because pretty much every weapon out there nowadays is a semi-automatic. I agree. I agree. Um, and the other thing is, it is a fine line because, again, the the Second Amendment, what a lot of people don't realize, really had not a lot to do with the ownership of guns or the, oh, the the... I don't know how to put it, but basically the Second Amendment was about being able to protect yourself from a government. Right. Now, if I have a semi-automatic hunting rifle, I'm really not standing up to any kind of government, doesn't matter whose it is, whether it's ours or another nation's. Right. Um, and of course, at the you know, same I, time... You know, no, and I, just, it, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday who made the interesting point, too. At the time of, of the Second Amendment, at the time of the drafting of, of the Constitution, you know, we, we didn't have semi-automatic weapons. We didn't have automatic right. weapons. We had... You know that you know it was you fire a shot you know you reload you fire another shot I right you know I mean I'm I not mean, sure the founding fathers really envisioned a situation where everybody should be legally able to carry mag you know well, machine guns and I know? and I don't know that I and I don't know if I agree with that or not but what I will say is uh, whether you have an automatic weapon or not the the technology that governments are now using you know you can have a full automatic rifle that's not doing anything to a tank that's not going right. to do anything to the so really, the the use that the Second Amendment once held has kind of become outdated by technology. Governments have so many weapons now that I mean, we're not going to let people have rocket launchers. We're not going right. to let people buy tanks, right? right. Or, so, or hand grenades. No, thank, thanks for calling. I mean, I guess that's look, and, and I, I guess I just think that sometimes when you draw these lines in the sand, you have to say, okay, what's going on? Is this an effort to confiscate my my hunting rifles? Is this by by limiting? And, and here's how I analyze this, and you can you're, feel free to disagree. But if it is against the law to own an automatic weapon without the appropriate permits and all the different things and the background checks and all that, if that is illegal, should you be able to get around that law by buying a $100 device that attaches and effectively converts a, 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 legit, a legal firearm into an illegal firearm, at least as far as it operates, should you be able to get around the law in that fashion? Now, I understand that there's always going to be people who you know, are, are going to go in and there's ways to uh, change the firearm so that it fires in an automatic fashion. I understand there's ways to do that, but this is, hey, just go out, spend $100, you get one of these things. I, I just, I don't see why people need these, and I guess I don't see it as this slippery slope. They're going to take away your deer rifles, they're going to take away your handguns, simply because we're saying we, we don't want to make it easy for people to do what this Las Vegas shooter did. John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, John. Real well, thank you. What do you think? So I was interested in those comments that you had read from some of your <clears throat> listeners. Right. You know, it, I think it just shows how some of them are in just complete denial. They know that they've lost this argument, that this, this revealed, this slaughter in Las Vegas revealed why our gun laws are so uh, so weak. Um, and so they, <clears throat> they come up with these twisted, contorted arguments about why, you know, 
you know, we shouldn't do this. You know, the guy who said, you know, we shouldn't do this because well, some wacko went crazy. Well, yeah. you know, wackos go crazy uh, all the time. But we don't need to give them the tools to take their craziness and turn it into a mass slaughter. And these things just have no place in a civilized society. And when I say these things, I'm talking about bump stock. I'm also talking about these high-capacity magazines. There's no purpose for these other than to shoot a lot of people. I mean, they're not used for hunting. They're not used for target press. There's no purpose for them. And the fact that we can't even consider... I mean, there was a bill in the, in the, in the House to allow silencers, for God's sake. Right. I mean, you talk about twisted arguments. They, the, the, some, somebody made the argument that this the silencer uh, provision should be allowed because it, it would uh, help hunters uh, uh, avoid uh, hearing damage. Come on! Right. God, this is craziness. Well, no, and I, I, th- I mean, I guess, and, and I, I want to take each one of these things. Thanks for the call. I want to take every one of each one of these things, kind of on an individual, an individual basis. You, you've got the, the silencer type of thing. You've got the the large scale magazine type of thing. Uh, there, there's different issues. Talking about the, these cheap devices, whether it's the you know bump stock or whether it's the other thing that attaches to the trigger and you can turn it like a crank so it looks like one of those old-fashioned Gatling guns. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't understand what the legitimate purpose of these are other than, hey, it might be fun to go out to a gun range and to, to shoot like it's a machine gun. All right, I, and I understand that it might be fun, but at the same time, does that mean that it's impacting your Second Amendment rights if we say, no, we're, we're not – if you really want to go buy a machine gun, go jump through the hoops and, and buy the machine gun. Don't be able to buy something for $100 that effectively allows your legal firearm to operate like that. And, and I do think from the perspective of gun rights advocates, you've got to pick your battles. And I think that's what you're seeing with Paul Ryan and – President Trump and Senator Johnson, who are recognizing, okay, this is just, this is a battle that's not worth fighting in the court of public opinion. Fight when it is important. Fight when we are talking about things that really are going to affect the meaningful rights of gun owners. But when it comes to stuff like this, well, don't defend the indefensible. It's 920. This is Jeff Wagner. Big thing number three is coming right up. Stick around. It's 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's preseason tune-up number three for the Bucks tonight as they travel down I-94 to take on the Bulls. Ted Davis is live from the United Center beginning at 640 here on WTMJ. Great to have the Bucks back. All right. I um, Every once in a while, there are these stories out there, and and you, you take them at face value, but at the same time, there, there's something about them that makes you question whether or not all is as it appears to be. And, and you have this happen every once in a while, especially in our racially charged environment, where you'll have the story of the, the, the person, a lot of times on college campuses, the person who uh, claims that they were a victim, they found a noose hanging or something like that. And sometimes it turns out to be true. But oftentimes, or at least occasionally, it, it turns out not to be true. And it's just like kind of a made-up story for whatever reason, attention or whatever. There's a story in the news today that I, I'm not prepared to say it is a hoax, but it's one of these stories where I will be interesting to see how this plays out because I'm on its face value, I have some questions. I mean, today's TMJ4 was reporting it. The University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee received mail appearing to be from the Ku Klux Klan. The letter has a distinct KKK marking on the top. 
Inside, a message reads in part, Recently, we have come under extreme fire for being a hate group. This couldn't be further from the truth. Only those who live in ignorance call us hateful. And of course, UWM gets this. They say there was two copies of this letter sent. One went to the... Uh, was addressed to Journalism, Advertising, and Media Studies Department. The other was sent to the student newspaper. And then, of course, you know, this creates a, a controversy on campus. You've got all these kids that are talking about how, you know, it's, they, they, can't, they can't believe that they got a letter like this. This is this awful group, etc. They're not welcome where I am. UWM comes out with a statement saying, The content of this letter is abhorrent to us. Diversity and inclusion are among UWM's core values. We reject claims of racial superiority and stand firmly in support of adversity campus that welcomes people of all races and religions which which is which is fine and it's of course very appropriate i'm just saying i have questions about this story i do not have questions about whether or not there was a letter saying this that was received i have questions about whether there was a letter sent from the ku klux klan to this effect this this just has all the trappings to me of of one of those things that you know somebody with access to a color printer, um, would, would just do for the sake of, of attention. Now, now maybe this was a legitimate letter that was sent out. Maybe it, it was. And maybe this is the Ku Klux Klan's idea of outreach, sending a letter like this to UWM. By the way, apparently a similar letter was sent to UW Lacrosse, and they say maybe other schools in the UW system received the letters. It is possible that this letter did, in fact, come from somebody associated with the Ku Klux Klan. Possible. I'm just saying, though, that it, would, it will be interesting to see if there is any further follow-up or investigation, because this is one where it might have come from the Ku Klux Klan. I also so we could speculate that this might be something, okay, done to generate the type of attention it generated, not from the Ku Klux Klan, but maybe from somebody who just wanted to generate this type of attention. Just saying. It's 926. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So, Gru, what do you think, who is producing the show today and always, what do you think the odds are that the Ku Klux Klan really does have stationery? I mean, that, that would be the other question. I mean, do, do you really, I mean, is there, is there, Jane, Jane Matinier made that point off the air, and it, credit where credit is due. I mean, okay, so this letter, and now look, I, maybe it's true, maybe it's legit. This screams hoax to me, not, and I'm not saying that UWM didn't get this letter, okay? But it, it just, it screams hoax. And I guess I'm thinking, you know, if what if you're a grand wizard from the Ku Klux Klan, you you have your own what stationery that you get, Jane? What, what do you think? How high up do you have to be before you get your stationery? You well, know? probably pretty high up, yeah. I would think. But honestly, that is the first thing that jumped out at me when I saw the story this morning: is that they have their own stationery. Well, right. You know, really? I mean, and and and, and maybe again, maybe, maybe this is maybe this is legit, and I don't doubt that they got the letters, but this. This just screams to me some college kid somewhere with access to something off the Internet, downloading something and then writing a letter like this to get attention. And, you know, maybe I'm just being cynical, but that's the that's kind of the first thing I thought of when I when I saw this, because you do have these type of stories that come up from time to time where they are where they are hoaxes. And again, maybe I'm dead wrong on this. Maybe the Ku Klux Klan is really now engaged in in outreach to try to present the case that they're getting a bad rap in the mainstream media by by sending letters to places like UWM. Okay, maybe that's the case, but 
Um, I guess I'm just saying a little bit of skepticism might be warranted in connection with this story. All right, big story number three is coming up. We're going to be talking about whether a soda tax would work in Milwaukee to help us solve some of our fiscal problems. Stick around. But right now, it is 930. Here's Jane Matinera from the WTMJ. It's 935. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three. Would a soda pop tax work in Milwaukee or Ozaki County? or Racine County, or Washington County, or Waukesha County. Here's the deal. Last year, uh, Chicago implemented, and this it was a very controversial measure. It passed by one vote through the Common Council. It implemented, and it's the, the leader of the Common Council. She's a big proponent of this. She claims that this tax I'm going to talk about in just a second will generate about $200 million in extra revenue for Chicago that you can use to take care of all Chicago's problems. It is a one-cent tax on all sweetened beverages. You know, and it's being billed as like the soda pop tax. And the way it was originally sold was, here, if you if you drink that giant Mountain Dew, if you drink that, you know, 32-ounce bottle of Mountain Dew, um, you are, it is it is unhealthy to do that. And so as a result, just like the argument that used to be made about cigarettes, um, you are contributing to something that is unhealthy. You will have higher medical costs. So essentially, you should pay more so we can cover your, your medical costs. Now, of course, this money that's being generated by this tax isn't earmarked to go to medical costs. It's just sort of general revenue. In addition, this one cent per ounce tax that is being put on on sodas. It's not just sugary sodas. So it's not just Coca-Cola or Mountain Dew, but it applies to pre-sweetened beverages as well. So it applies to Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, stuff that has no sugar in it at all. It also applies to energy drinks. It applies to um, prepared uh, coffee. Like For example, if you go into a Starbucks and you buy... Um, one of the, the pre-mixed, like, espresso things that has sugar in it, it would apply to that. It doesn't apply if you go up and you have the barista, the, the barista make you something with, with sugar that's in it. If you are on food stamps or the equivalent, you, 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 you don't have to pay the tax. So if you're on food stamps, um, you can buy as much sugary soda as you want without paying the one, ounce, uh, the one cent per ounce tax. But if you're not on food stamps, you, you can't. In any event, what, what's happened since this went into effect is there has been a, an outroar, a, just a huge uproar, and a number of the supervisors that voted for it, facing huge political pressure, are starting to say they're going to vote the other way. And there's a vote, I think, coming up, I think Tuesday, on to decide whether or not they're, they're going to continue with this. It went into effect in August. Um, and it has been incredibly controversial. If you go into a restaurant in Chicago, for example, and you order you order a soda, you order a Diet Coke, and a lot of times, you know, they'll give you refills. Um, there there are no more free refills. They can give you a free refill, but they have to tax you on the, the free the quote unquote free refill. So let's say you know you, you you know you go in and they give you a 16 ounce Diet Coke. And then they come around. They say, "Would you like another one?" Um, yes, they they don't they don't have to charge you for the sixteen ounce diet coke, but they've got to add sixteen cents to your bill because you had that that second soda. 
it's it's been a mess as far as implementing it. But the idea is, hey, we can generate a ton of money and and maybe we can inspire people to behave in a little bit more healthy fashion. So we generate the revenue we that we can use for all sorts of other things and we make people a little healthy. This, at least in the view of the person who runs the Common Council down there, is viewed as, as just, I mean, a, a great thing. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is incredibly bad public policy on so many different levels. I hope they recognize what a mistake they made in Chicago, and I hope these members of the Common Council, several of whom voted for this and now are afraid that they're going to get tossed out of office, I, I hope they change their minds. I think something like this would not work in Milwaukee County, wouldn't work in Ozaki County, wouldn't work in Racine County, but it is a way of generating revenue. So let's tee this up. All right, a soda tax, one cent per ounce on all the soda that you purchase, pre-sweetened, um, unsweetened, but flavored, you know, you name it, would something like that work here? Would you like to see that go into effect as a way, perhaps, if nothing else, of changing behavior? And and it does generate a ton of money. I mean, keep in mind, for every okay, for every twelve ounce can of soda that you buy, you know, you would add an extra twelve cent tax. So that's you know, six times twelve, seventy two cents per six pack. So you're talking essentially for a case of twenty four twenty four cans of Diet Coke, you're talking about an extra almost $2.50 in taxes. I do think it has the potential to, well, I don't know, maybe change people's habits a little bit. Is this a good idea? 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Big story number three, would a Chicago soda tax work in Wisconsin? Stick around. It's 945, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, you can now purchase your tickets to this year's WTMJ Holiday Radio Show to benefit Kids to Kids Christmas. Coming up November 27th at Turner Hall in Milwaukee, hear the story of how WTMJ saves Christmas and see all your favorite voices on stage. You can be part of the live audience. This is the third year we have done this. Tickets are on sale now. Just head to papstheater.org today and hurry because they are already going fast. I haven't gotten an update in the last two days, but they went on sale on Monday. I I asked on Tuesday, how are the sales going? And I was told as of Tuesday about half of them were gone. And and this isn't some... I, I Look, I, I don't get a cut out of the tickets or anything. It's not like I'm saying, hey, you know, sign up before midnight tonight or the offer goes away. I'm just saying that this sells out. It sells out quickly. Um, a lot of the people that went the first year came back the second year. Everybody has a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing it. So if you want your tickets, um, go to papstheater.org today and get them. Inevitably what happens is a couple weeks before the show, I start getting phone calls and emails from people saying, I'm a regular listener, and hey, Jeff, I've been the last two years, and can I get the tickets? And, and what happens is it's not like they give us stashes of 30 or 40 or 50 tickets we don't have that once they're gone they are gone all right on tuesday i think the uh the the county the county board the equivalent of the county board down in chicago is going to reverse this soda tax that they put into uh, effect um one cent per ounce it has the potential to raise $200 million in Chicago. It would have the potential to raise tens of millions of dollars if we did it in Milwaukee County. Does that make it a good idea? My argument is no. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. I don't think it'll work either because it goes beyond traditional soda. And if someone tries to do something that might be a little healthier, 
like a diet soda or, or a juice, it still can punish them. Right. No, it, it, it definitely, I mean, that's it. I mean, it, it, it applies to pre any sort of pre-sweetened drink. It applies to Snapple, <clears throat> anything like that. Yeah, I checked the juice that I've been drinking lately, too, and, and I'm pretty sure that would, right. would be taxed, too. Yeah, I think anything other than, like, pure 100% juice would be taxed. And I, and I guess I just, I, I don't, this, it is not about health. This is about generating revenue, pure and simple. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it, 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 it could lead to other things, too. Like, they could say, oh, well, that 100% orange juice, that's acidic and bad for your teeth. We're going to tax that now, too. Well, I mean, or, Jeff, why, why, if, if we have decided that the too much sugar is bad, and look, and I, I, I understand type 2 diabetes is a huge problem in this country, and, and, and sugar leads to obesity. I get that. But if we're going if, if to go after sugar, why do we single out sugar in sodas? I mean, why, why, why aren't we imply, imposing the same tax on Chips Ahoy cookies or, you know, baked goods, for example, or the cans of cherry pie filling you buy that are nothing but sugar? I mean, that's, to me, the slippery slope. Yeah, like if I buy if I buy cookies, if I buy right, if I yeah. put like coffee made in my coffee, am I going to get taxed too? Yeah, exactly. And thanks. I mean, right? If I mean, is, is this? I mean, just think about it logically. I mean, if, if sugar is bad, what? Why aren't we taxing ice cream that has sugar in it? Why aren't we taxing baked goods? You know, why? Why? You know, when you go through that cookie aisle, I mean, why aren't we going after the people that buy the large boxes of Chips Ahoy cookies or bags of Chips Ahoy cookies or whatever? Those are, are pure sugar. I'm just saying this. This is one of these slippery slope arguments that I, I do buy into, and part of it is I just don't believe this has anything to do with health. This is all about a way to try to generate lots and lots of revenue, and that's where I kind of draw the line. Karen in Waukesha. Karen, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Karen. Um, I, I was just thinking that there's already an issue in Milwaukee with people committing food stamp fraud. Right. And... Um, I think that it would be a way for them to generate money as well by approaching people in grocery stores if they see that they have a lot of soda or sugar drinks in their cart and say, hey, you know, if you give me $25, I'll... Right. Yeah. Purchase all this on my food stamp card for you. And you'll get a break. That, now, look, I mean, the reason why food stamps are exempt is people who buy stuff with the the, the Quest cards or whatever is exempt is because the federal government controls those rules and says you can't do this. But just think about what what a dumb policy this is. So if you're, you know, we we would all say that particularly we, we want to encourage everybody to eat healthier. And you would think that that would particularly apply to like like low income people, but we're making it easier. If the idea is we don't want people to drink soda, but we're making it easier for the low income people and cheaper for them to buy the stuff that we say isn't good for them. How, what what sense does that make? You know yes, exactly. <laughs> no, no, right. It's, I mean, they, I mean, right. I mean, it, it's just kind of like, all right, um, we're we're going to exempt people who you know um, need. And, and look, I, I appreciate that you know the I appreciate the role food stamps and quest cards and all those type of things you know play. But you know, we you would think that in many respects we would be trying to have a policy which candidly would deter people from using government assistance benefits to buy soda in the first place. This not only doesn't deter them, it gives them an economic incentive to do it because it's actually you can buy it now at a discount. You know that that's just that that's just nuts. William on the west side. William, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Well, uh, well, one, of the points I, I was, one of the points I was looking to make was simply 
more of a high level. We're talking about taxes here. Taxes are designed to be the break-even, right? You pay for something, and you receive something back. They're not supposed to be an extortion tool for the government. To change your behavior. Yeah. Influence our behavior. Yeah, I, I I agree. No, I mean, thanks. Now, this see, this started with the cigarettes. I mean, that was the idea. We're going to try to discourage smoking. So what we're going to do is we're going to increase, because smoking is bad for you. So we're going to, you know, increase the taxes. We're going to try to make cigarette smoking so expensive that we force people to quit. And to an extent, it, it worked. To an extent, but now you're starting to see that play out not just with like the cigarettes, but now with like foodstuffs. And I mean, I, I do. I mean, I wonder where that's going to. Where is the logical stopping point? If you're going to go after, if you're going to go after Diet Coke, and you're not even like I said, you're not even just going after the drinks that have sugar in them. You're, you're going after the pre-sweetened stuff that, um, while probably isn't good for you to drink an enormous amount, it, it's not like the diet sodas are contributing to obesity. They might have other health issues. If you're guzzling, you know, 32-ounce, you know, if you're guzzling liter after liter of Diet Mountain Dew, there might be some other health aspects of that. But 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 it's not the obesity thing that this becomes the issue with that. But you're right. You know, you're trying to use this tax policy to change behavior. What are we going to do? Are we going to impose more taxes on beer? Because beer can be fattening. See all those people with the beer guts? Where do you draw the line? Um, number of texts here. John says, hi, if this is implemented, John and Jackson says, if this is implemented in Milwaukee, what stops people from driving to Menominee Falls for soda, such as Costco, Myers, Woodman's, and so on? Yeah, this is one of those things as well. You, you become, you, you make it, you make yourself an island. Now, I, I don't know. Sometimes if you say, okay, we're just going to impose a half-cent sales tax, for example, in Milwaukee County, is that going to necessarily be enough to make you drive out to Ozaki County? No. But on the other hand, if you – I don't know. If you're talking about a food stuff like uh, – I mean, something that people buy, like sodas or whatever, and you're talking about an extra two fifty in taxes – for um, or actually a little bit even more than that, if you're talking about two fifty to three dollars extra in taxes for a case of of diet coke, then you know add all the other stuff that you might buy as well. At some point in time, you do say, "Hey, I, I mean, I live close to the Milwaukee border. Um, I don't have to shop in Milwaukee County. I could go two extra miles. I can go to Waukesha and I can knock ten fifteen dollars off my food bill." At some point in time, it starts to you know make make sense to do that um j- just saying just saying it's nine fi- I'm, my prediction by the way is i think this is i think enough supervisors and this passed by one vote nine to eight i think enough supervisors are going to change their minds i predict next tuesday that this uh this tax disappears in chicago and if it won't fly in chicago it sure won't fly around here it's nine fifty four. this is jeff wagner it's 9.56, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ, Scott Warris, who's producing at least part of the show right now. All right, so th- this, is a, this is a test of true love. I got married last Friday, right? So I'm, this is my one-week anniversary, okay? Um, last Tuesday, a week ago Tuesday, I started coming down with this cold, which is going around a lot. It has been a nasty one, as you can tell. I, I, still, I, I still have it. I'm feeling better, but still have it. Um, my, my wife... For the, the days up to the wedding, she was like, okay, here, take this, take that, take this. Um, so it was it was very nice. The wedding came off. And now in the context of sharing everything, I have given her this cold. So this, this is kind of this is kind of it. I'm, I'm getting the message that, well, okay, thanks. We're, you know, we're now officially like this husband and wife. Forget, you know, forget what the, the law says. Forget all that type of stuff. We are now sharing everything. 
So Fran is absolutely thrilled that this nasty, nasty cold that I got, I, I now she has it a, as well, right? This is this is absolutely the in sickness and in health part of those wedding vows, and so we're. Uh, uh, I tell you, that's that's great. That's the great. That's the great way. It's the great way to start off a marriage. You know, husband goes in, gets sick, passes passes that cold on to his loving wife, and then we just kind of deal with it as long as well as all the other stuff you deal with, and closing on a house, and all those different types of things. All right, least surprising story of the day. All right, remember in the immediate aftermath of the Las Vegas shootings, there was the idiot woman. The lawyer and senior counsel for CBS, who, who her name is Haley Geftman Gold, who came out with this, took to Facebook to talk about how she wasn't sympathetic to any of the people who were shot in Las Vegas because um, they're country music fans, and country music fans often are Republican gun toters. Remember that woman? Okay, so CBS immediately cans her. No, no surprise there. Well. Now she's taking going to the media and she's saying that she's a victim because she's gotten all sorts of hostile emails, including, you know, some harassing emails because of what she posted. All right. Now, let me just back up a step here. First of all, you would never condone harassing emails or threatening type of emails. Anybody who does that is wrong. Having said that, here's here's just part of the thing that goes on. If you are going to go on social media and say you have no sympathy for 58 people or 59 people who are murdered in Las Vegas because they're country music fans and that means they're Republican gun toters, if you are going to say that, my only advice would be don't be surprised if you're going to get some hostile email in response. This woman, in addition to being unemployed, is many, many things Excuse me if I don't find her to be a victim. All right, it is 9.59. When we come back after the news, I want to talk about these break-ins at car dealerships around the area. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. It, it I'm going to be curious as to whether or not there is going to be any outrage with this. The Milwaukee Public Museum has just opened a new exhibition. And by the way, I think the Public Museum does a great job. I um, Every time I go down there, and I, I don't go down there as often as I should, but every time I go down there, I'm, I'm amazed at the new stuff they have and, and how good the exhibits are. They have just opened a new exhibit um, entitled... Weapons Beyond the Blade, um, it provides the, the store. Here, here's the, the way they lead into it. Violence, brutality, destruction, death, beauty, art, and intrigue. On Saturday, October 7th, the Milwaukee Public Museum's newest exhibitions, it opens tomorrow, Weapons Beyond the Blade, provides the story behind the sensationalism, comprised of over 180 rarely seen artifacts from their history and anthropology collections. It's a limited engagement exhibition that provides an historical overview of various uses and meanings of these life-changing objects. I'm... I'm um, reading the story, the, the curator says, well, when I decided to do this, I knew it wasn't a safe topic. But here's some of the exhibit highlights they, they have. Um, they have an arrow from Custer's Last Stand. They have a, a knight in armor. They have something that talks about weapons carried into battle by Wisconsinites. You can, um, again, touch real 19th century Japanese chain mail. 
Um, you can learn about weapons, again, carried into battle by Wisconsinites. Come face-to-face with a knight in armor. Encounter rare and unusual weapons like a French assassin's favorite tool, the Apache revolver. Um, now, I think this is, you know, really an, an interesting sort of thing. You can listen for a clash of swords, the swoosh of arrows, and a rebel yell. So this is going to run from October 7th until January 1st of next year. Um, but very, very interesting, and I, I think it's it's fascinating. The question is going to be, especially in the wake of what happened, will people be appalled by this? Will some people see this as the museum glorifying violence or whatever? At the same time, I think this is just, to me, it's it's just history, and I think this is going to be an extremely interesting one. But I'll be curious to see whether there is controversy and whether there are protests. All right. Uh, during Jane's news, she was um, bringing you some quotations from the, the guy that heads the uh, – Jim Tolkien, who heads the um, auto – he's the president of the Auto Dealers Association of Mega Milwaukee. They're the people that um, put on the auto shows, things like that. And, and he was talking about the increasing frustration that auto dealers around here are having with – break-ins um it seems gosh it seems to me for the last year or so maybe it goes back even further that one of the cottage industries around here has been people a lot of times it's juveniles breaking into car dealerships all throughout the area and um creating damage what they try to do is they try to break in with the idea that they're going to be able to get access to the keys to some of the cars that are on the lot and then stealing the car. So they cause damage, and then they get the car keys, and they then take the, these cars. Now, part of this, I, I think, is just this is like the latest game that's out there. And I think in some cases it's a gang initiation, but it's been causing a huge amount of damage and problems for a lot of car dealerships, which have sort of now had to go to all the extra trouble of changing you know, how they handle the keys and how they lock up the keys. But it hasn't, it hasn't stopped. Um, yesterday... There was a series of break-ins and damage done at car dealerships in West Dallas and the town of Brookfield. Um, Authorities were called to, this is now yesterday, International Autos on South 108th Street after two windows were broken in at the dealership. This is a dealership that sells kind of high-end luxury cars. No cars were stolen, but my guess is... One of the reasons that the windows were broken is that people were looking to see if they could find the keys so they could steal some of the cars. Then there was an incident at a nearby Heiser Chevrolet dealership where three new cars were set on fire. Set on fire. Town of Brookfield Police Department is confirming that four vehicles were stolen after individuals broke into the Acura of Brookfield on West Blue Mound Road at about you know 1.30 a.m., one of the vehicles turned up after the driver crashed into two poles and came to a stop near the Menominee River Parkway. Whoever was in the car fled before the police arrived. So that's that's the cottage industry that's out there. Break into the dealerships. See if you can, first of all, cause damage. Then see if you can steal the cars. If you get away, uh, drive them like you stole them because you did steal, steal them. And then, you know, once you smash them up, just kind of run away. Um, this this has been an ongoing problem. Um, you know, Jim Tolkien says that in the recent cases, what happens is that the suspects who have been caught have turned out to be largely, wait for it, juveniles with criminal records. You know, and, and what he says is what's happening is that these kids are getting rearrested 
and are getting arrested, and then they get released, and then they, they just go out and they re-offend, which is true. It's absolutely 100% true. Car theft is not taken and not considered a big deal, particularly in Milwaukee County. Now, if you take a gun and stick that gun to somebody's head and steal their car, carjacking, that, that's, that's, that is considered a big deal to the extent we consider any crime in Milwaukee County a big deal. But, but stealing automobiles is, as a general rule, I think by, by too many people, including too many juvenile judges, viewed as just kind of like this rite of passage. You know, we've had stories over the course of the last you know few months where you, you'd have somebody, the cops catch somebody, they, they find the kids' fingerprints on 20 or 30 stolen cars that they have recovered. And then what happens? Well, the juvenile court system just turns the kid loose, send them out and say, okay, well, we're going to put a bracelet on you or something like that. But this is becoming this huge problem that's not going away. So, again, the president of the Auto Dealers Association of Mega Milwaukee, who is is looking for some sort of help, because there's only so much these car dealerships can do. All right? you, you lock up the keys, sure, those are the types of things. But still, you're a legitimate business, but you are being targeted, particularly by these out-of-control juveniles. So what he's saying, he says, um, look, there's been at least six in the last month. And he's asking state legislators for help. He says you have to try to do something that would help us. Harsher penalties, maybe. Minimal mandatory penalties, maybe. Minimum mandatory penalties, even for juveniles. Even for juveniles. All right. Let's tee this up. Because I find this to be extremely interesting. Being a juvenile in particularly Milwaukee County is literally... A license to steal, and it's a license to steal cars. It is very, very rare that a juvenile for car theft will be waived into adult court. Like I say, carjacking, okay, that, that's, that's maybe a 50-50 type of thing, but stealing even multiple cars on multiple occasions, you're probably not going to get waived into adult court except in the extreme sort of cases. So let's tee this up. You've got a 14 or a 15-year-old that's out there breaking into auto dealerships and stealing cars. Do they need to be treated with something other than kid gloves? Is this the type of thing where we say, if you steal a car, doesn't matter whether you're 14 or 24, if you steal a car, you're going to go to jail or some sort of correctional facility. You're going to be confined for at least a year. Is that an unreasonable position to take? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. You know what? I don't have any problem with this at all. We have an epidemic of car thefts. And whether it's gang initiations or just this is the latest thing that is fun to do or whatever, I think car theft is a big deal. If you have ever had your car stolen, number one, it's it's, and I'm not talking about just stealing cars off of auto dealerships. I'm talking about stealing cars in general. This is not just a harmless prank. You find your car stolen. First of all, it's going to be that sense that you have been violated. Secondly, it is going to be the the idea of of all the extra trouble that you're now going to have to go through to try to work with your insurance company or whatever, and 
and just in general the inconvenience that you're going to have because many people depend on their automobiles to get them to and fro. The idea that kids are out there on a regular basis stealing cars and laughing about it, I think it's time for it to stop. And you know what? I agree entirely with Jim Tolkien. I think the legislature needs to look at mandatory minimum penalties, sending people to jail or to prison if you are convicted of car theft. Is that an overreaction to the epidemic? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1019. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1022. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, with just two weeks left in the high school football season. Wow, where does time go? Our Preps Live coverage spotlights the Classic 8 Conference as Waukesha West travels to Muskego. You can catch our coverage at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app starting at 640 this evening. Check it out. Okay, let's go to the text line. Let's see. Um, I, I think... I think the way we treat juveniles in general in the state is absolutely ridiculous. But now you've got the president of the Auto Dealers Association of Metro, Mega Milwaukee saying, hey, you know, we, we need to crack down on these car thefts. We need mandatory minimum penalties, maybe even for juveniles. I agree completely. All right, let's see. Uh, go to our text line. Maybe some of these juveniles just need counseling, you know, just like those two girls from Waukesha that tried to hack the girl to death. Um all right. Uh, Joe says, if it's that big of a problem, why don't the dealerships hire overnight security? Well, because even well, first of all, I, I don't know that that's that that's the response that we have to take. Gee, crime is so out of control. It's your problem, Mr. Business Person. You know, you have to hire security guards 24 seven. Why don't we get to the underlying problem, which is warehousing the crooks that are out there causing that? But would you say that, I guess, to every citizen? Okay, all you people who leave your cars parked on the streets, you should be hiring private security guards to protect the cars. No, I don't think so. Um, all right, uh, here's this is my favorite one. You and your lawyer buddies are getting these people off. Not me, pal, and none of my lawyer buddies are getting these people off. Matter of fact, I'm exactly in the opposite direction of that. Okay, 414-799-1620. Ed in McGuanago. Ed, you're first. Good morning. Yeah, I'm just thinking about this. You know, these cars are worth thirty to $50,000. Yeah, sometimes more, yeah. Right. Now, if, if I would steal thirty dollars or $50,000 from someone, it's a felony. It's a felony for operating without owner's consent. Right. Anyways, so they're not charging these kids with anything no no they're no they're they're charging them with being delinquent ed they're okay the 16 year old that breaks into the dealership steals that you know steals the the $75,000 Mercedes Benz and drives it into a pole and then flees um and they find his fingerprints in that car and 15 others it's just ed it's a misunderstood juvenile he doesn't need to be punished we just we need to counsel him don't you understand yeah I I understand I was a cop in Milwaukee for 30 years and that's exactly what they did to the juveniles all yeah. the time. It, and it's a, and it's not working, and it, it's a joke. No, thanks for the call. I mean, it's just the juvenile justice system is a joke right now, and what needs to happen is you need to have legislative change. And that's the type of thing. You know, you steal a car, well, all right, that makes something that then, then you get waived into adult court, and then there's mandatory minimum penalties that attach to it. At the very least, maybe mandatory minimum penalties that attach to the delinquency. This idea that, oh, you've gone out and you've ripped off five or six people's cars, you've finally been caught, and now, well, you know, we're, we're going to send you to the, we're going to put you on probation and send you to a counselor to talk about why you're stealing cars. We know why you're stealing cars. You're a punk that doesn't have any respect for anybody else's property. That's the simple fact of the matter. Tim in Cedarburg. Tim, you're on 620 WTMJ. 
Jeff, what's astounding to me is um, is if a juvenile goes and steals a car in Brown Deer and gets caught and he gets a slap on the wrist or his probation or whatever, but if he goes three miles north of there and does it in Mequon, yep. he's looking at serious time. I mean, there's no there's no rhyme or reason to this where where if you do something three miles in one spot, you do it three miles in another, the, the punishment is completely different. Well, right, because people in Washington County or Ozaki County or Waukesha County, they won't put up with what we apparently put up with if you live in Milwaukee County, which is this catch-and-release type of system that, that goes on. You're, yeah, you're very right. You steal a car. You break into a – for example, the people that you know broke into that car dealership, the Acura dealership in Brookfield, once they catch them and they end up getting charged with stuff in Waukesha County, I have no doubt that – the likelihood that they're going to get waived into adult court or get some serious consequences is much greater than if they had, you know, broken into a dealership in Milwaukee. Right, and and the people that keep voting for these judges and and whoever uh, right. you know whoever makes these decisions, it's really the voters' fault. You you keep voting these people in, that's the government you're going to get. Yeah, it, it is. Thanks for calling. But unfortunately, that that is the government that we have, and one of the ways to change it is to just. Take it out of the hands of the irresponsible court system. I mean, the DAs in, in Milwaukee County, I won't say never, but rarely ever, maybe never, but certainly rarely, try to waive kids into adult court simply for car theft. Now, carjacking or, you know, or other attendant things, maybe. But, but the idea is, well, you know, we've, you know, it, I mean, come on, it, it, they're, they're just stealing cars. Uh, well, okay, that's... I'm sorry, stealing cars is a big deal, especially since it's been a cottage industry here. At some point in time, we've got to start going back to a system that looks out for the victims, the innocent person that's worked really, really hard to buy that car, who needs that car to get to work, or or the car dealerships that are trying to make a living. I mean, this idea, I get this text, well, they should have security guards 24-7. Well, okay, easy easy for you to say. I mean, at, at some point in time, yes, I think dealerships need to have have some degree of security, but that's not the problem. The problem isn't that you have a dealership that doesn't have a guard 24-7. The problem is that you've got a bunch of punks that are coming out, breaking into the dealerships, breaking windows, setting cars on fire because they know that there's nothing that's going to happen to them. That's the problem. 1020 HF Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1035, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right, this is one of these sort of aggravating stories. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, I, I have for the longest time argued that college athletes deserve some form of compensation. And I know maybe you disagree with me on this. I, 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 but the, the truth is college athletics is a big business. And what you have happening a lot of times is that the, these kids that get recruited, the truth of the matter is a handful of them are going to go on to play professional sports. A handful are going to go on and play in the NBA and go to the NFL, but, but most of them aren't going to do that. But yet the colleges make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars off their performances. And yes, it's true that these kids get the scholarship, and there is a value to that. But, you know, they're walking around essentially without enough money to support themselves, and the colleges are getting rich. And I know people say, no, 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 that's that, that would kill amateur athletics. And, and my argument has always been, well, I'm not sure that this idea of 
if there was ever amateur athletics, you know, maybe what it was in the 40s and 50s, I, that's not what it is in 2017. And, and this latest example is, it, here, here's case study number one. Rick Patino, who is the very successful sleazeball ex-coach at the University of Louisville, all right? He, he was just let go. Um, Patino has been one, like many of these college coaches, where, where scandal has, has followed him. Louisville, they're actually talking about giving Louisville the death penalty, uh, suspending the basketball program for a year or two. Um, because Louisville has just been a, a, a sewage pit of, of bad stuff. Um, the thing that you know they were under investigation for is apparently there were, when they would bring recruits to campus, you would have some of the assistant coaches or the recruiters or whatever who would hook them up with girls and arrange to have sexual liaisons and that type of thing. Well, when this all came out, um, you know, Rick Patino, the coach, said, oh, no, I, I had no idea this was going on, to which I call horse hockey. I mean, I, I, I refuse to believe that in any of these basketball institutions that the head coach is shocked shocked to find out that there's gambling going on or or shocked to find out that gee we're bringing recruits on campus and you're hooking them up with with women i am stunned of course he knows it's going on nothing i don't believe anything in these programs where you've got the assistant coaches that are recruiting the players the players talk i don't believe that there's anything that goes on that these coaches don't know about now maybe rick patino isn't the guy going up and lining up the co-eds to sleep with these kids but You'll never convince me that he doesn't know what's going on. But anyhow, we're, we're told that it's all about the kids. Well, here's the here's the latest story that's breaking. One of the that, that one of the insidious things about college athletics is it is it ties in with shoe contracts and things like that. You know, all these shoe companies want to have whether it's Adidas or Nike or or whatever, they want to have these players wear their shoes. Why? Because it's a great marketing type of thing. You know, you turn on the TV, you watch the college basketball game, you, you've got these ball players that are wearing, again, whatever the shoes are. That, that's an incredible marketing thing. So the, the shoe companies try their best to cut deals with the universities because that's one of the ways they market. It's probably the best way that they market. So, I mean, here's the deal. Um, in August, Louisville announces that they had just cut this new one hundred and sixty million ten year deal with Adidas um, to provide athletic wear and and shoes. Okay, so I mean this is great. One hundred and sixty million ten year deal. Oh, this is great. So a reporter says, um, I, I'm curious, Mr. Athletic Director, where what's going to happen to this dough? I mean, where this money? What, what's going to happen? And the guy says, Well. What, what do you mean what's going to happen to the money? Th- this money that they're paying, it's for the athletic department. It's for these student athletes. It's been earmarked for them. We're going to take this shoe money, and, and we're going to, these student athletes, we're, they're, they're going to get the money. We're going to put it into all sorts of great stuff that's going to help them graduate, and for the vast majority of them, they're never going to go to the NBA. Don't worry. You know, we're, we're going to take care of them. Um, not. Under the current deal with Adidas, which expires um, next July, get this. of the cash, 98% of the cash provided by Adidas goes to the now suspended head coach, Rick Patino. In 2015 and 16, for example, 1.5 million went to Patino under his personal services agreement. 25,000 went to Louisville, according to the contract. 
The year before, Patino also got $1.5 million, while the athletic department just banked $10,000. All right, so the, I mean, for anybody who says that the big money that's in this program, it, it's for the kids, that's not the way it works. I mean, it's for the coaches who make a ton of money that then gives them the incentive to do whatever they got to do to get good ball players that are in there. But it's not for the ball players. It's for the coaches. It's for the people who end up cashing the checks. And to me, I just look at the story. I shake my head. It's just another reason why, again, if you think there's amateur athletics, and I guess I understand everybody wants stuff to be pure. It's not. There's so much money here. It's no surprise that there's a whole bunch of crooks that are in this. And and Rick Pitino, I, I don't I don't know if what he's done is any if he's done anything that's illegal, but the stuff that he's doing, which is probably pretty typical of some of these big college basketball programs, it's just it is amazingly bad. There's just no other way to say that. And for people who think, well, you know, we, we don't want to pay the kids. Well, my gosh, if, you know, Rick Pitino's cashing $1.5 million out of a shoe contract, would there really be anything wrong with saying each of those basketball players that puts Patino in a position to cash that money, maybe they should get 50000 bucks? Would that really be that wrong? It's 1041. When we come back, the Vegas killer's girlfriend says he was a kind, quiet man. Okay, we'll discuss. Stick around. 1041. It's 1045. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Do you believe she knew nothing? Uh, Marilou Danley is, of course, the, the girlfriend of Las Vegas killer Stephen Paddock. She has come back. For, she was in the Philippines when this happened. He had sent her there. Um, they had They lived together at their home. The home where they lived together had 19 guns found in the home um, in Mesquite, which is about 80 miles northeast of Las Vegas. He had a house in Reno. Um, There were seven guns there. He had another 23 guns in the hotel room, but presumably he had to keep them there sometime before he checked into the hotel room. Um, Authorities say he had 1,600 rounds of ammunition and several containers of an explosive commonly used in target shooting in his car. The total amount of explosives weighed about 50 pounds. Now, again, my, my guess is before that stuff got in his car, it had to be stored somewhere. Um, she, this would be the, the girlfriend, Danley, born in the Philippines, moved to Australia in the early 80s, left Australia for the U.S. in 1989, where she worked in casinos. Um, her two sisters say there's there's no way she knew anything. They knew, didn't know anything about what we, he was planning, said he sent her away. Uh, he sent her away because she didn't want her around. She has now issued a statement. I know Stephen Paddock as a kind, quiet, caring man. I loved him, and I had hoped for a quiet future together with him. He never said anything to me or took any action that I was aware of that I understood in any way to be a warning that something horrible like this was going to happen. She described herself as, as a mother and a grandmother. She was in the Philippines when Paddock fired the fatal gunshots out of the 32nd store window. Um, she said that uh, a couple weeks ago, she's 62, Paddock told her he had found an inexpensive plane ticket for her to go visit her family. Once she was there, she said he wired money to her that was to be used to buy a home for her and her relatives. He wired her $100,000. She said that she thought the plane ticket and the money um, 
made her concerned that he was getting ready to break up with her. I was grateful, but honestly, I was worried that first. Uh, uh, I was worried that first the unexpected trip and then the money was way of breaking up with me. It never occurred to me in any way whatsoever that he was planning violence against anyone. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will. I, I don't know that there's any way that we're going to ever know for sure. Um, and a lot of times people do lead second lives. There's all sorts of times where, you know, they find the 15 bodies buried in the neighbor's basement and everybody's on TV saying, well, he seemed like such a quiet, caring person. We can't believe that there's 15 bodies in, in the basement. In this particular case, though, you have the live-in girlfriend. Um, she shared the house where they found 19 guns in the home. Now, obviously, he had a lot of other guns and explosives and rounds of ammunition that may or may not have been in that home in Mesquite. But she says, I just I never saw anything. I had no idea. I was as stunned as everybody. I thought he was a kind, quiet, caring man. I saw no indication that he would be in any sort of position or the type of guy to do something like this. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I admit when it comes to this kind of stuff, I I am cynical. And I will be honest with you. I don't know that I think that there's any evidence, and I'm certainly not going to say that this woman was part of the plan or was an accomplice or knew that he was planning to act out in this sort of way. I'm not prepared to say that, and I don't think I ever will. At the same time, At the same time, this idea that I lived with this guy who apparently was in the process of planning these mass murders, stockpiling all these different firearms in all these different locations that we shared, the the idea that she didn't see anything suspicious, excuse me, I find that hard to believe. And that's not saying that I think she was an accomplice. It's not necessarily saying that she knew stuff in advance. But my guess is, certainly in retrospect, you would think she would be saying, oh, now that I know what happened, yeah, I thought it was unusual that every third day he kept coming in here with more guns and, and all that ammunition and stuff. Just saying. 414-799-1620. She describes him as a kind, quiet, caring man. She was shocked he did this stuff. Do you think that she's telling the whole story? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1051. It's 1053, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, they are now interviewing the 62-year-old woman who is the live-in girlfriend of the Vegas shooter. Um, she says, I, I had I had no idea that he was going to do anything. He was a kind, quiet, caring man. I, I don't. I don't know that I thought. I don't that I think she was included in, her, in his plans. But at the same time, I, I admit I'm a little bit skeptical that she didn't think see things that were going on that were somewhat suspicious let's start with john and oshkosh john you're first good morning morning what do you uh, think you know first of all I, there's no way anybody can excuse this lunatic's actions in las vegas there's no doubt it's a tragedy but i must say that in the state of wisconsin you probably have 500 people in this state that have a case of guns uh-huh. that's similar to what this guy had they're happily married they got children and stuff like that how can you read a man's mind? You know what I'm saying? Sure, she knew he had guns, but 
did she have any any predilection uh, that this guy would pull off a tragedy like this? So, do you think that somebody you know, who was planning? Wait, 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 no, no. Let me ask you this. Do you think you know the fact? No. Well, let me. This is what I was going to ask you. Because you, you are suspicious. Okay. All right. Okay. If you're not going to let me ask you a question, then we we kind of have to move on. I mean, here I I understand just because that the guy had a collection of guns. Um, 33 bought over the last year. Um, I agree that that in and of it does itself isn't an indicator that you're, you're going to be a, a mass murderer. And I, I'm not suggesting that otherwise. But clearly, there was a lot of preparation that went into, into this. There was a lot of planning. Here was a guy who made arrangements a couple months ago, for example, for hotel rooms in Chicago overlooking the Lollapalooza festival. Now, I understand that you know, people have, have other alternate lives and you, know, you can conceal sort of things and you know, people don't tell their girlfriends or their wives or their husbands or their boyfriends you know, everything they're doing. But, but she was living there. Do you think that, I mean, and I guess that's the fundamental question, do you think you could live with someone day in, day out who was going through this methodical planning process and that, that they not have any sort of inkling at all that something was up. And again, I'm not suggesting that she knew the guy was going to go to Vegas and, and kill, you know, 50-some people and, and wound 500 more. But um, especially in retrospect, I guess I'm kind of surprised that she's still saying, well, I thought he was a quiet, quiet caring man, as opposed to, well, now, now that you mention it, I do think it was kind of un- unusual when he kept coming in uh, day after day with, you know, new rifles. Just saying. 414-799-1620. Wayne in Milwaukee. Wayne, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, I, I, Jeff, I don't really think she had nothing to do with it. This guy was was a, a control guy. He controlled all the money. He controlled all the functions. I mean, he sent her where he wanted her. He he was a great manipulator. Mm-hmm. And and you can see what he did. Nobody knew. The FBI profiler said this guy does not fit the profile. If the FBI, who works seven days a week on profiling an individual, can't do it, a, a woman that has no knowledge just because he buys guns can't do it. So come on, well, Jeff. but but it's not Wait, just no, necessarily. No. But no, it's not necessarily just that he's buying buying guns. I mean, this this, this was a very very planned out activity, and like I say, he was he was apparently. Considering going to other places, he had booked hotel rooms over Lollapalooza. I mean, a lot of stuff had been going on. Now, now maybe that's that's actually the case, and that's what I guess I find intriguing. That can you can you really live with somebody? And and they they live together. Can you really live with somebody who is planning something like this and have no no knowledge a- at all that they're a psychopath? That they're that they're crazy enough that they're going to do something like this. That they are really how does she describe it? That they are a he's a, a quiet a kind quiet, you know, caring man. And again, I'm I'm not arguing that I'm not arguing that she was involved in this and was part of the planning of this. I'm not arguing it based on what we have now that they gave her advance notice. But I do think it's a a little. I, I think it's it's odd that you could live with someone who, again, planned something like this and had apparently been considering doing something like this for quite a while, and you have no inkling of it. Maybe maybe people have different relationships than I've always had. Terry in Manitowoc. Terry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. I, I, I just think everybody's assuming that the guy had all those guns in his house. Uh, I was telling your 
screener that I, I've got a storage unit that I keep all kinds of things in it. You know, <laughs> think of storage ward. Yeah. Uh, his he had ni- 19 of the guns were found in the home. So, I mean, 19 were found in the home. Um, right. Seven right. were in his house in Reno. 23 were in the hotel room. Yeah. Right. But could he have taken those guns after she went to wherever and brought them back to his house? I mean, I just, mm-hmm. I'm not saying she didn't know anything, but I just think it's weird that everybody assumes she does. Yeah. No, th- well, I mean, I guess I, 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 I'm not sure I... I'm not sure I'm saying I think she knew that she knew something. I, I am saying that it, I, I'm saying that I, I find it difficult to believe that especially knowing what we know now, you wouldn't look back and say, oh, now that I think about it, I think this was suspicious. I think that was suspicious. Gee, I, I asked him, gee, why are you making arrangements to go see the Lollapalooza event? And, and again, maybe this was completely on the down low. Maybe he was able to keep this all secret from her because clearly the guy is a sociopath or a psychopath or whatever. I, I am going to be fascinated, though, as more details emerge on this. It's 1059. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1109, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's kind of switch gears. we got the Week in Review coming up at the bottom of the hour. But I am, as a student of pop culture, I am I'm intrigued by various trends. And, and there's no question that, for example, uh, the, the rise of the Internet has not killed but severely injured newspapers. You know, we, we've talked about this before. It's not that people don't want information. Matter of fact, people want information now more than ever. It's just that people want information when they want it. They want it on their schedule, and, and they don't want to have to wait till the morning newspaper gets delivered at 6.30 in, in the morning. You know, you, you want to know what's going on. So as a result, the, the newspaper that's printed and delivered once a day is becoming more and more of a dinosaur, which, again, isn't to say that the commodity that they are selling, that is the information, you know, that, that's, I think, arguably more in demand than, than ever. I mean, how many people nowadays, um, you know, when it's, it's your lunch break or whatever, you want to find out, you know, what's going on in the world? Well, okay, you turn on the radio, you turn on the TV, you go on the Internet, you look at different things. So you want the information, but, again, it's a timing matter, and it's I, I don't want to wait tell that the newspaper gets delivered, which is why, I don't know, I mean, can I see a show of hands? How many people under the age of 30, uh, unless you're sitting there waiting for, you know, your, your oil, the oil to be changed in your car or whatever, you know, how many people look at, at a newspaper? And that's, of course, the problem that the newspaper industry has. Um, you have, you still provide something that people want, but it's how do you, the phrase is monetize it. You know, how do you make money off of that? Because, well, it's it's tougher to figure out if people aren't buying the newspapers, all right, you know, at, at newsstands, you lose that revenue. If not as many people are reading the hard copy of the newspaper, it makes it more difficult to sell ads. I mean, classified advertising has pretty much disappeared nowadays. So it, it's just a struggle for the industry. They're being buffeted by forces that they do not necessarily uh, control. Right? There, there's another aspect, though, of the print industry that's really been that, – that is struggling – as as well when was the last time that you picked up a, a glossy magazine and, and by that i mean I, i'm just i'm trying to think there was a time not that long ago when i regularly 
had magazine subscriptions to Time, U.S. News, Newsweek, you know, fill in the blank, as well as various other magazines that would come out a lot of times on a weekly basis. The, the various news magazines, and you'd sit and you'd say, gee, I, I wonder what's in Time Magazine this week, or you'd read the various columns, you know, the, the glossy magazines. I don't remember the last time I looked at a glossy magazine. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but um, I was sitting in... I, w- I was sitting in the dentist's office a couple weeks ago, and I just had a little bit of time to kill. And I, I do, I, I saw, I, I picked up whatever the current edition of People magazine was. But, but, but with that exception, and then just kind of glanced through it, and it took me about three minutes to read the whole thing. With, with the exception of that, that couple minutes waiting for the, the dentist, that, that's, that's honestly the last time that, that I can remember picking up a glossy magazine. I, honest to goodness, I don't remember the last time I actually looked at a hard copy of a Time or a U.S. News or a Newsweek or, or anything like that. I just, I, I don't, I don't watch them. Um, and now, you know, what, what's happening is that, that this entire industry of the glossy magazines, Rolling Stone, which has been around for, you know, 50 years, um, the, the current, the owner of Rolling Stone, the editor, he, they're, he's stepping down, he's selling his stake. Um, other editors at magazines like Time and Glamour and Elle, they're all stepping down at, at well as well. The staff of Vanity Fair, apparently um, the, the new editor has is, is stepped down from Vanity Fair. All the, these magazines, not just the news magazines, but a lot of the other social magazines that we all used to you know, read that were part of, of our life, um, they're just, they're, again, they're falling out of favor. It, and again, it's not so much, I think, that people don't necessarily want the entertainment news or, or the other news, or they don't want fashion news, if you're into that type of stuff. It's just that you don't want to wait for that one delivery. So you're able to get the stuff um, otherwise. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Glossy Magazines, The Time, The Newsweeks, the Rolling Stones, the Vanity Fair, all those different type, those publications, you know, the ones that come out once a week that we always used to wait for, that you'd go down to the newsstand, okay, what's the latest magazine? You'd wander through. Are those dinosaurs? Is there still a market for them? Or just like the Internet is killing newspapers, has the Internet killed the glossy magazine? Do you still buy them? Do you know anybody that does? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 1115. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Are, are the days of the glossy magazine over? Let's start with Dawson in Sheboygan. Dawson, good morning. Hey, good morning. Um, so as I mentioned to the screener, uh, I have two subscriptions, one to Men's Health and the other Sports Illustrated. Uh, the only time I find myself reading Sports Illustrated or even keeping one is when a Wisconsin sports figure like Aaron Rodgers or the Brewers or the Badgers right. are on the cover. Other than that, I really don't enjoy it. Um, but the only time I really find myself reading is to stay off my cell phone before I go to bed so I can <laughs> actually sleep. <laughs> right, right, right. So do you think, I mean, moving forward, do you think you're going to continue to um, I, I mean, keep the subscription to Sports Illustrated? I will just because it's, very cheap, yeah. and I do find a lot of collectors' items out of these covers. Right. Um, but other than that, I don't really care for what the editors have to say in their right. articles. 
and it's very polarizing, and I don't enjoy it. I just like looking at the pictures. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, one of the things, Dawson, with Sports Illustrated, I mean, actually, I mean, their their business model is that they offer those premiums when you renew. Here, get the sports bag or get, you know, whatever these different, get the jacket or those things. In some cases, I wonder whether they're in the business of, like, selling jackets or whether they're really in the business of selling magazines. Yeah, and the funny thing is I usually haven't had to pay for them. I've gotten a subscription for free for buying tickets to a concert or a sporting event or something. Right, right. And I think that's, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, I think, see, that's the, the trend that I think is kind of developing here. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily bad or good. It's just kind of, you know, what what things are. Um, Greg t- writes, I love hard copies of books and magazines. I'll be saddened when they go the, the way of the dinosaur. Um, yeah, I did, but I, I think that is kind of where we're, we're going and what we're starting to look for with these things. Just, again, it's not that people don't want the information. It's just that you can find it in many, many other places. Okay, Drew texts, I regularly subscribe to Sports Illustrated, ESPN Magazine, and Golf Digest, even though the information might be old when I get it. I still like to read the articles and hold the magazine, just like I like to read the Sunday paper. See, I'm I'm one of those. Um, I'm one of those a- as well. But at the same time, um, I don't know how many of us are left. 414-799-1620. Steve in Green Bay. Steve, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Well, I think it's a kind of a double-edged sword because not only um, are people reading them less, there's less in those magazines. You're yeah. talking about time or that. At one time, maybe that was 60, 70 pages. Now you're lucky for 30 pages. Right. And uh, I'll take your word for it because I don't remember the last time I saw a time. Yeah. yeah. But I think because of the cost of paper sure. and the cost of postage, it costs money to send those magazines out. Sure. Myself, you know, there are certain specialty magazines around hunting and fishing or guns that I'll read. Yeah, if you're a railroad enthusiast or something like that, yeah. So. Yeah. And and so, yeah, I mean, that, I guess, that that specialty niche, to me, for for the hobbyist, you know, if you're a a car collector or, you know, whatever, I, I guess I could see that. But as far as, like, the general interest magazines, the Vanity Fairs, the Times, the Newsweek, I think they're going to really have, really have tough sledding moving forward. I agree. Yeah, no, thanks. And again, and it's not, and it's not that the information that they provide isn't something that people want. It's just that you can, you can get the stuff in other directions. And it's how, how do you convince people to, you know, pay for it? Uh, James in Milwaukee. James, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. How are hey. you doing? Long time listener, first time caller. Thanks for calling. Uh, I, I give descriptions to, uh, Model Railroader and Hemmings Motor News and Hemmings Muscle mm-hmm. Machines. I enjoy reading the hard copies. Right. Um, can I ask you how old you are? I'm uh, 65. Okay, yeah. And I, I mean, it, for, for guys like us, I mean, that's kind of our traditions and, and we do that. I wonder how many people who are 30 or under still, you know, take the time to actually sit down with a hard copy of a magazine. Well, I have some friends. I belong to a couple of car clubs mm-hmm. and they still, they still do. Yeah, and I guess, it, it, and thanks for call, James. And it, like again, in your case, you, we're talking about some real specialty. And I mean, and I, I, I get, I understand that. If, if you're into model railroading, for example, yeah, yeah, then you you want to, you're, you're interested, and in, let's see what the the things are, and let's see what these designs are. I mean, I, I, I get it for the specialty types of things, and that's why I don't think that they're ever going to go away permanently. But you know, for the general interest type of stuff. 
like like I say, I just I mean, who buy who would buy a U.S. News and World Report, for example, if they even or who would buy a, a Newsweek, even if they if they still put these things out? Because again, you can get all that information a lot quicker. You can get it in many cases for free, and you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to wait for it. Kyle and Franklin. Kyle, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Kyle. Um, so basically, I used to sell advertising for a, for a trade publication ad, you know, magazine. And a lot of times we just wanted our circulation high so that we could charge <laughs> advertisers, hey, this is how much circulation we have. So kind right. of going back to the last caller about, like, just cheap it's free so there's a lot of magazines people get they don't pay for you know just because they're cheap and free they look at them here and there but it's it's really to help get circulation based up so the advertisers pay more you know Right, which, which is, no, I think you're right, which is why, for example, Sports Illustrated can give you a $15 carry bag in exchange for buying a $9 subscription because then they've got you as a subscriber so they can include you and say, okay, when, when they go to try to sell classified, or not classified, but, but picture ads. No, it, so it's, in other words, the, these, these magazines are just kind of becoming, in some respects, maybe advertising delivery vehicles, huh? Correct, exactly. Yeah. No, and, and that's, I mean, thanks to, and, and there's, again, that, that will always allow them to survive as long as there is a nucleus of advertisers who are doing it. I, again, I bring this up because a lot of times we talk about the demise of newspapers, and I don't think newspapers are going anywhere in the immediate future, but I, I do... I do think that, uh, again, it's, and I don't say this in a nasty way, it is kind of like dinosaurs, you know, wrestling around in the tar pits because, you know, younger people just don't read hard copies of the newspaper. It's not to say they don't want the information. And I'm thinking a lot of younger people, well, in the same vein, they're, they're just outside of the specialty magazines we're talking about, the that sort of, I'm an enthusiast because of, of, of model railroading or, or whatever, outside of the specialty magazines, the demand for... I don't know, week old news in the form of a Newsweek or whatever, I just don't think it's there. And I think to the extent it's a little bit there now, it's not going to be there at all five or ten years from now. It's 1125, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We've got our weekend review coming up in just a couple minutes. Um, some breaking news this morning that is sure to make some people's heads explode. The Trump administration, one of the very controversial things of the Affordable Care Act was a requirement that all employers cover, provide birth control coverage for their workers without any co-payment. Um, that provision has been tied up in lawsuits ever since because a, a lot of employers, including, for example, churches, would argue, wait, well, for example, if, if we believe birth control is wrong, um, why should we have an obligation to provide it to our employees? Well, all right, the Trump administration, and this so it's been tied up in courts for a number of years, the Trump administration um, has just come out with a new rule, and what they are doing is they are expanding the religious exemption for employers who don't want to provide insurance coverage for certain birth control methods because they have moral objections. Um, the new rules will allow any employer or insurer to stop covering contraceptive services if they have religious beliefs or moral convictions against covering birth control. It would be up to the states to determine how companies should make these decisions. Now, candidly, I, I think this is only going to affect 
a very, very small percentage of people, women, who get birth control without cost from their employers. Um, because the reality is, you know, most I- large employers, whether it's Pepsi or, you know, what you, you name it, most large employers, I suspect, are going to continue to provide um, birth control coverage. Um, some church groups have already been are exempt from the law and are not providing coverage. So I, I don't know that this is going to really make any sort of meaningful difference. I mean, for mo- the companies most people work at, I, I suspect that they're not going to want to alienate any of the various employees and create an issue by saying, okay, we're, we're going to fight you over providing you know, birth control coverage. So, um, And the ones that, that have objected on religious bases, I suspect a lot of those have already you know, been embroiled in the litigation. So I don't know that this is going to see a, a mass cessation of birth control coverage, but it is something that's interesting, and it is something that, um, again, all th- this is going to be dominating the, the talking head shows over the weekend. Is this a continued example of Donald Trump's war on women? Is this an example of how you know, religious Religious zealots are dominating the discussion, or is it just a question that businesses? Maybe the fundamental question is: Should birth control have to be mandatorily mandatorily covered? Should the law say you have to cover this, and should it say that you have to cover it regardless of what the religious beliefs of your company president are? So that's the latest news. Trump is expanding the exemptions. Uh, trust me, there will be litigation about this as well. All right, when we come back, we've got our weekend review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have reached that point in the week where I become the thorn between the two roses. It's the weekend review. Susie Falk from Falk Group PR and Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. Also, we live stream this on Facebook, so you can see what everybody looks like. Well, you know what I look like. They're better to look at. Um, you can go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and you can watch watch us as we do radio. Okay, topic number one, um, the Las Vegas shooting. Tracy, you were just saying your husband was in Vegas yes. when the shooting occurred? Yep. He was at the Mirage. It was very terrifying. Very terrifying experience, yes. And, of course, for the longest time, people didn't know what was going on. Yeah, he said it was mass chaos, uh, pandemonium, and even though he was on the other end of the strip, uh, there was still a lot of chaos and uncertainty. This is, of course, the second time in 16 months that the headlines have been largest mass killing in U.S. history. Okay, Susie Falk, is there anything that can be done to stop things like this from happening in the future? It, you know, it's so hard because the, the guns are out there, okay? Bad people are going to get their hands on the guns. I get that. And so, you know, I don't think there is a way of preventing these types of situations from happening. However, I think we can beef up some, some of what we're doing now and make it a little bit better. Like, I know I've been listening to you all week, Jeff. You're talking about these bump stocks. The bump stocks. I didn't yeah. even know something like that existed. Well, well, until, well you know. so did a lot of other people not know about this. How, how is it that this is out there for sale for $50, and it's very easy to convert these semi-automatic r- weapons into basically machine guns? And so why don't we just start and ban those? Let's just take some commonsensical approach to this. And honestly, how about we do confiscate all the, the automatic um, guns that are out there, fully automatic, okay? There's something like 630,000 of them that were grandfathered in when, when they were legal back in, when, when it became illegal in 86. You have still these 600,000 guns that are out there being traded, being, you know, I don't know. And then it's not that hard to convert these semi-automatics into automatics. So I think we need to crack down on that ability to convert and 
really, really, really penalize those who are found to have basically machine guns. If you want to, if you want to be a ninja out there and you want to shoot a gun really fast, then join the Marines. You know. What would you do about the uh, the clips that contain ten to twenty rounds of ammunition? Would you outlaw those? I think you need to reduce the number. And I honestly, I prefer fishing over hunting, so I do not know what's fun and what makes sense. But I think that there seems to be too many available. I, I think we all need to take a step back and a, and a deep breath here. I think we're looking at the wrong problem, which is crazy people who use the guns. Now, I mean, you can talk about you know shrinking the magazines. You can get rid of these bump stocks. But at the end of the day, when you look at the number of people who, let's just, who die from guns, they're the one-on-one shootings of young men in the inner city. They're domestic violence. I mean, this is about the people, not the machine guns. I think it was a, an irrational, you know, we're going to jump on this just to say we did something. I, I don't Well, but at I the same like, time, do we, but, we, but do we do nothing then? Do, do we look at a situation but, like but this? But all you're doing is appeasing people when you say, let's get a, rid of a bump stock. Fine. Get rid of a bump stock. Okay. Let's spend all this time. Let's create a law. We'll get rid of this thing. Then you know what? It's like a computer hacker, right? They're going to find another way. Yeah, but is that a justification for if if reasonable people would agree that there's no reason that somebody needs something for that you can buy for $100 that takes what would otherwise be a legal weapon and makes it function like an illegal weapon? Is there any reason to have it? I mean, why? Fine. Just because just because somebody might find some other way to kill people sure. is that a justification for saying, okay, well, let's not do anything? There's a lot of things that we could now make laws for to to get rid of. I, I think there's. Uh, so you would do nothing. I, I would. I, I think we're wasting our time looking at banning one small thing. We we would have to do an exhaustive look at all the different modifications that are out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, fine, let's do that. Let's appease people. But you know what? You're still going to have mass murders. You're still going to have these one-on-one gun murders and this domestic violence. I think you need fewer, to follow. Th- okay, if you have one fewer of these, uh, that's, that's fine. Saving lives. But so why wouldn't we look into a solution? We're wasting for our, our time on the real problem. Which okay, is so what the is the people. real problem? The real pe- the real problem is the people and their access. To, to, to care and somebody recognizing that there's a problem with this well, okay, isolated well, let, let's, man. Let's take this as an example okay. then. Okay, let, let's, let, let's take the guns out of it. Um, do, do we just say we, we do, do nothing? I mean, what, what, what could we have done with a guy who apparently no criminal record, mm-hmm. um, no history of psychosis or, I mean, obviously this is a sociopath, but no overt manifestations manifestations of that do we just say as a society we're willing to accept people like this going crazy and and shooting hundreds and hundreds of people no but but here's the thing if he really wanted to hurt people i'm 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 convinced that he would have found another way to oh, do true. it. You, you, you steal a truck and you drive well, down. And even the right. guns. I mean, if he really wanted to, you know, sh- launch a grenade into that crowd, I, I'm I'm fine with saying let's find laws. I just think we're we're spending a lot of time and not addressing the real problem. I, and I think there are a lot of other. So, in, un- so the problem then, if you more funding for mental health services, I, and I'm. I don't know what the solution to, to that is, but I think better access to that stuff. And I don't want to switch the conversation too much. I'm just saying that if you break it down, you look at the data, and, and if we're really talking about gun murders, this, it's not a matter of, of, of assault weapons. This is a matter of the people that are that are causing these crimes. And they'll do it with a grenade. They'll do it with a bus. They'll do it with a car. They'll do it with a knife. Yeah, but I guess the question becomes, does it, 
do you reach a point where you don't necessarily want to make it easy for them or as easy for them to be able to gain access to something sure. that's going to be allowed sure. to do it? And I guess that's why I look, I mean, candidly, I didn't know these things like bump stocks existed. I didn't know that there was something you could buy for $40 to put on the trigger of a rifle and turn it like a crank so it mm-hmm. shoots like a, a Gatling gun. And I guess I just keep coming back to the premise that, and I, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Tracy, that you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it's the people. But at the same time, I look at this and say, okay, if you're not legally allowed to own a machine gun unless you get a permit and you register, mm-hmm. should you be able for $40 to buy something that takes a legal weapon and makes it act like a machine gun? I agree gun? that that's easier. Right. I wonder, though, if, if somebody would find another way. And well, sure. it, how well, interesting, though, that this mechanism was created for disabled people to be able to use guns. And I don't want to go back to the Obama talking point, but how interesting that this was meant to help people who are disabled. And, I mean, you never know what's out there and what people are going to use these things for. So... So are we going to, is this, is this the world we live in nowadays? And let, let's kind of move yeah. away from the gun control situation. But I mean, I, I mean, I do appreciate what Tracy's saying, that if you have somebody that is intent on killing as many people as they possibly can, they're, they're going to find a, a way to do it. Right. You know, they're going to, well, they they're going to go on the internet and figure out how to make a pipe bomb and, sure. and do that type of stuff that you can make. If you know what you're doing, you can make with stuff you buy at, at a hardware store. Is, is this just the new normal that, when we go to large events, we have to be prepared that, hey, there, there might be a, a mass calamity. I think we're going to be seeing changes. I think hotels will have to you know, increase security. I think it's going to be a little more difficult to check in because we, they may start scanning bags, especially at high-rise hotels that are surrounding major parks where there's major festivals, Lollapalooza. I know a lot of girls that were at Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. That scares the crap out of me. So I think we're, it's going to become, you talked about it recently, it, we're going to see some changes that are going to be unfortunate. Unfortunately, a little bit, you know, it's going to slow us down, but they're going to be for our benefit. Tracy, right? you're, you're a Vegas girl. Okay, what? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm a Vegas boy, All so right. I mean, I, I don't say that. In, you know, I'm I mean, I, I go on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have, for, for example, Las Vegas is a place where, unlike some places where you go and you check into the hotel and then that's where you stay, in, in Vegas... You, you go to lots of hotels. You yeah. might check into a hotel, but you're going to be roaming through all sorts of hotels. There's large parking garages that are attached to these massive structures. There's 20, 30, 40 entrances and exits. I mean, is it as a practical matter, are, 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 are we going to be able to ever increase security enough to you know, stop that person from coming in through the side door of the MGM with the gun in her purse it's, or you know. it's going to change things and I you know it, and we've always talked about Vegas is I don't want to call it a ticking time bomb but we always knew that there because there are so many people there that there was it was ripe with opportunity for somebody who wanted to do this and you know knowing the, how the ebb and flow of Vegas you know I, I wonder if you know, you connect everything and you just have one entry point and if people would be willing to do it. We thought it was going to be a disaster with the airlines, but look at now everybody yeah. says, thank yeah. God we do that. Um, it It is going to change the culture, but I, I heard somebody on the station say that could this be the price of, of freedom is just mm-hmm. that we might have to mm-hmm. uh, I just wonder how it risk. works. As a, I mean, I'm trying to think, I wonder how it works as a practical matter. You know, it's one thing, I guess, to have you know, somebody waiting where you go up into the hotel rooms, you know, mm-hmm. making you show your room keys or something like that. I get that. I'm just trying to think as a practical matter on a busy Saturday night when there's a concert at the MGM Grand, yeah. for example, and you've got 20,000 people that are going to attend that concert and they're all going through that hotel lobby. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how do you ever screen them? But, and there's vigilance, entrepreneurs too. are out there and they're working on yeah. this already. You know, yeah. we, we probably don't even know what the solution is until a year from now. But some somebody will figure out a way to make it make it, um, you know, palatable for our society where you can go where you want and you can have fun. But we're 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 safer. OK, we're going to take a quick break. We're back with lots more. This is the Week in Review. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined by Susie Falk and Tracy Johnson. It's 1145. It's 1148. It's a week in review. Susie Falk. I'm Jeff Wagner. Tracy Johnson. Um, story number two that we want to talk about. The East-West Freeway Project is officially dead. No funding for the budget. The feds have now pulled the funding. And so we're going to do the work on I-94 um, between the state line and the market interchange. We're going to go ahead with the zoo interchange work. But that area, that bottleneck between the market interchange and the zoo interchange will continue to remain. Tracy Johnson, I know this has been something near and dear to your heart for a while. Well, I'm, I'm disappointed, obviously, that this that this decision was made. And not just that it was made, but how it was made. Um, I just think that was... Um that's not a good way to think regionally. When you say how, what do you mean? Um, just the way that it, you know, how it wasn't included in the budget and then it was, was asked to be pulled that we didn't even fight as a region to either extend the, the funding, uh, deadline so that we could continue to have access to that federal fund. I mean, we've spent $20 million already on the engineering. The planning, right, yeah. Um, and not only that, we, we're going to be spending $50 million to repave that pinch point. And when we are talking about being a regional economy uh, and trying to sell this region with Foxconn coming here, we're trying to sell to Amazon, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, for a headquarters here, yet we're going to, we're, we're not going to fund this huge economic corridor in our region. I think it's short-sighted. Um, and I, 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 I'm okay, frankly but, disappointed, but I am not giving up hope. G- given the political realities, though, um, there's not enough money in the budget to do everything. Transportation mm-hmm. was a huge battle. Yes. On top of that, you have the environmentalists yeah. and the neighbors who were adamantly opposed to that. And you know this matter would have been tied up in the courts, I, I mean, I think, for a few years. Um, was this, if something had to go, did this make sense, Susie? Well, you know, Tracy's clearly tracking this more closely than I am. Um, as a consumer and someone that takes the road, I honestly don't notice it. I, it's a little more congested, and I understand that that area is uh, not safe and that the shoulders are very narrow, and I understand there, there are problems. But if I were one of the big business businesses out there that relied on that, I would be really pissed off. Harley and Miller Coors. There's a lot of real estate out there. There is. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm saddened that they didn't have a bigger voice and more influence in the process. But I do think that you've got the 20 million or so that was already spent on the, you know, the, the engineering and the, the looking at this, this project. And what happens to the 20 million? You know, I mean, that just seems like a waste of money. Well, you know, and it's also, it's going to get worse because if, if, and I don't think I don't think this is going to happen because I don't think the feds are going to kick in money to build that not so rapid bus transit line. <laughs> but if you start tearing up Wisconsin Avenue and Blue Mound Road, mm-hmm. you're going to divert more and more people onto the freeway, and so you're going to make that pinch point even worse. Now, like I say, I don't think the feds are going to give us the money to do that, but I could be wrong on that. But to your point on the lawsuits, I, I just would like to point out, I know that was given as a, a big reason that it wasn't continued, but there was a lawsuit on any project. Sure. Mm-hmm. And not that these people are necessarily opportunistic, but they're going to throw a lawsuit 
anywhere and everywhere that they can. And I think it, you know, it, it, you, you kind of pitting transportation versus transit. And I think there needs to be some bigger picture solution or dialogue about that. But in the end, it's disappointing. I'm not going to give up hope. Um, cause I think there is a, a great coalition of people who really want this to happen. Okay. We're going to go around the table very quickly because I only got a minute or so before we get to our right stuff awards. Um, Puerto Rico, President Trump was in Puerto Rico. A lot of controversy involving the U.S. response. Of course, you know, this, we had the hurricane that hit Houston. We had the hurricane that hit Florida. Now you've got Puerto Rico, an island absolutely devastated. I mean, still only 5% of the power back. Should we have done more? Could we have done more? Susie Falk. I think we should have done more earlier. I think actually now if you pay attention to the news reports, it seems like things are, are working working out, water's getting to where it needs to go and whatnot, but the hospitals are almost all fully functioning. We should have done more earlier. Um, I don't, I think, honestly, I think what happened was we just had fatigue from just being, you know, lambasted by these other hurricanes. Right. That And so I think we were slow to respond. Um, it, it's good that things are turning around. I'm glad that Mike Pence is, is visiting with Puerto Ricans now, and I think things, yeah, I think things will return to normalcy, but it's going to be, it's going to be decades. Oh, yeah. It's Crazy. exposing a lot of these realities about their debt and the fact that we're going to be for- basically forgiving their debt not that it not that it makes things better in our response but the fact that we've got an army general who's now running the show over there i mean they were devastated and this is an island that is far away from the mainland right, and, and, it took and a lot of time there, to get right, and plus there. The, the ports are decimated the airports were all closed because of the destruction i i understand that there's there's this tendency to want to blame stuff and i think you're right susie i think sometimes there's fatigue fema's in houston fema's all over florida then you have this island where the port are destroyed the airports are there i I, and i understand the frustration people have where you don't have drinking water you don't have power but at the same time i I just i'm not sure it's fair to criticize fema for this okay we're gonna take a quick break when we come back we've got our right stuff awards it's 1154 this is jeff wagner joined by Susie falk and tracy johnson it's 1157 jeff wagner it's our right stuff awards Susie falk the Building to Learn Coalition, you, you heard it, Google it, it's teaching kids the apprenticeship trades. And then my other winner is the uh, businesses that have stepped up to work with these kids in these area schools, including, and I'll make it a short list, C.G. Schmidt, Train, J.P. Cullen, Peeper Power, and a bunch of others. Please Google Building to Learn, get involved, call me. My right stuff is going to the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rosalo. I think he um, is when he's placed against the crazy mayor and thankless mayor, I think he just shines. He shows how governors should handle crisis situations and uh, gets my Right Stuff Award. And my Right Stuff Award, we'll, we'll give it to uh, posthumously to the late Bob Gannon, um, state representative representing the West Bend area. Only been in office for a couple of years, but um, he really was incredibly involved in community activities in West Bend. Really, really good guy. Passed away suddenly at the age of 58, which is way too soon. So Bob Gannon gets my award. Steve Scafidi, Eric Bilstadt, in the house. I, I agree with all your right stuffs. Good good, good picks this week. Uh, Milwaukee made a list yesterday, and it, it's a list that says it might, might be one of America's best-kept secrets. Do you agree? What might that mean? What are the reasons? We'll talk about that. And it's hijinks at, in the Milwaukee Common Council. Alderman Michael Murphy stripped us of some of his assignments. We'll talk about that next. Scafidi and Bilstead.